everybody, Rich Brubaker, Shanghai based social entrepreneur. Today I'm in busy Manila, uh, about to go inside and meet with a group called the Good Food Community. They started a CSA or a community supported agricultural group about seven, eight years ago, and we're going to go see what they're all about, how they're engaging their farmers, how they're engaging the community, and the lessons they've learned as social entrepreneurs in the city of Manila. Uh, doing some really interesting work at a really interesting time. So stay tuned and please remember if you enjoy this content, please remember to like, share, and comment. I'm Charlene Tan of Good Food Community. Welcome! <laughs> That's Kara behind the camera. That's Kuya Luis. Say hello. And Ate Celia. Um, so yeah, we're at Good Food Community office and what we do is we work with a small group of farmers doing organic farming mm -hmm. and packing their food and delivering that to people who need it. Sure. Yeah. And how did you get into this business, as it were? This business. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was working for an NGO, uh, and I guess I've always been concerned with uh, ideas of social justice and environment uh, concerns. I was working for this NGO, and I was working with a lot of smallholder farmers, and what I saw was that they needed a market more than anything. And it wasn't just like a regular, you know, market, like buy whatever they have. I was more interested in a kind of more a solidarity relationship, something that wasn't just about price and wouldn't, you know, diminish if the price went up and stuff like that. So I was looking for a way that we could be with our farmers um, that was more long term. Okay. And I was looking for a way for myself as well, like not to be dependent on grants for a thing, you know, for the change that we wanted to happen. So um, community Shared Agriculture, which is the subscription system, allowed us to do that by um, becoming more than consumers. Yeah. So you pay up front for a share of the harvest and you get whatever's in season. And it makes a whole lot of difference for the farmers who know that the food is going to go to someone and the money's going to come for them as well. So yeah. it's something that they can eat, which is something I didn't realize before. It's that a product. A big difference. Yeah. yeah, it's great. Tell me a little about the sh small sharehold farm. Like, What's the condition here in the Philippines and what was the issue that you were most say concerned with when, when you got started? The Philippines is like there's a huge gap between the rich and the poor and quite quickly like you knew you get a sense of like where you're at that not everyone is able to eat every day that they're not able to get to go to school some people uh, go to school by car some people you know it just, and then and so and they have to work in our houses and stuff and so you and there is a sense that I'm in a bubble yeah <laughs> so I so I think like right after high school like I went to state university and I was like give me the rest of the world and so I think like I was really I wanted to head in that direction mm. and try to see what was up with that and when I met the farmers like um, and you know for me like in my head a farmer is a farmer but no like over the course of the last eight years like I've met different kinds of farmers and I think depending on the kind of crop you're used to growing mm. it also kind of shapes your mentality or like how they think about it and I'm always still learning like culture and language and like you know so um, I can kind of tell you anecdotally like so when we started in Kappa Starlak this is rice and sugarcane and which I, it's a commodity crop it takes about three months to grow and many of them like you realize they've been doing this for generations and they don't want their kids to do it anymore they just send them like go to Metro Manila and find whatever job or go abroad that is the ticket yeah, yeah, to yeah. success and then you see a big you know house then that is you know that takes a lot of anyway so we met them in that way and then 
um, we offer this and so they have tracts of land but what we saw was when they when especially the women who took to it they started gardening yeah. right behind their house and the it's like about a few hundred square meters it helped out because they could then feed their family and they were assured of like just a little bit like a few hundred pesos every week and it it grew and it, so it's it like grew. five to ten dollars us yeah but okay. it's you know it makes a whole lot of difference and in some cases it began taking over the rice because it just made so much Mm. more sense to them. Commercial farming has taken over everything. Mm. There's pesticides and fertilizers everywhere. Yeah. And they have known anecdotally that like so many of someone that they know went, got became sick or whatever, and then there's just no other option. They know how to grow organically, but if there's no market for it, then what's the point, right? right. right? And then still there isn't infrastructure, like there isn't like a, a train or anything that they can sell their products to so they just have to wait for a trader to come in and get it so the how their every day is kind of more like i hope the price is good okay. today and i either i win big or i lose big mm. you know so and so this is kind of where your platform comes in so yeah. how many farmers do you work with how many varieties of crop do you have and how did you get started working with them um, so right now we must be working with like 60 to 80 so that's different and uh, typically in the clusters of farmers it's about 20 each so in Kapasterlok maybe 20 and Latinidad Benguet another 20 and the organization might be a much bigger uh, but there are usually about 20 active at any given time. Mm -hmm. The Mountain Province just to complete the list Mountain Province and uh, Rizal so the other question was like, how did I get started? Yeah, how did you get started with us? With an idea. <laughs> <laughs> what was the original right. idea then? Well, I guess what with the question. The what was the seed? Was, I guess the seed is like, there's gotta be a better way mm. of like feeding each other. Just this sense of like, feeling this is have to be a violent system. You get this, you know, like, even if in the midst of so much poverty, I can't seem to help my neighbor and they can't give me what I need so can another relationship be possible was I guess the basic question okay and that's what got me you know that's why community shared agriculture like really spoke to me mm -hmm. and um, that's what got me introduced to the farmers in Capas at the beginning okay. yeah now CSA is that something that was at the time when you were starting this was it foreign to the Philippines was it something that had been existed for millennia in the Philippines, but just called something else? Like, what, Or is it something that you've had to educate the market on? Definitely had to educate the market. Okay. Um, and yeah, the different degrees of success. <laughs> um, so we got this idea, I guess, from Japan, like okay. in the internet, the early days. And then, <laughs> um, there were a couple of efforts. Like there was a Japanese farmer that would uh, deliver baskets of vegetables to people, but he had stopped. And then there was someone else who was trying the idea, but flying in vegetables from Bukidnon. I think that has stopped also. But I think, like similarly, we just all had the idea. Um, yeah, so we've had to really educate the market. And I think with a challenge is that people don't understand why they can't choose the vegetables. Like I think just generally, people are very far away from where their food is grown and not yeah. understanding like yeah, yeah, yeah. why things have to be so difficult. When you're going to help the farmers, like when you were first proposing this to them, what was their initial response? 
Ah, mahirap yan, which is like, oh, that's too difficult. Because <laughs> <laughs> you also realize that like they have their own context and they have their own experience, mm. and like, I think that was like the first kind of awakening, like just how we've grown up in different worlds. So for them, like when we started talking to the rice farmers, they're used to like every three months. You know, I plant, and then there's someone who's ready to pick it up, and then just deals with it. And gives me, you know, I'm a price taker, whatever, right. you know. Um, and here, what we were proposing was that every week we would harvest, and they would need to plan from like one crop to like ten or twenty crops, right. and give me like a, an estimate of you know what we can harvest every right, week, right. right? And work as a group, which wasn't um, available. So those are two things. Like one is. How much more involved vegetables are compared to rice or commodity farming, yeah. and second, it's like having to work together as a group. So we needed one of them to say like, we can do it. Yeah. But like there was silence in the room when we first like right, you right. know, and we had it all down. We we're like we're gonna give you these better prices, and it's a sure demand and everything. And there's like, yeah. ah, that's too difficult. Or like it depends like if the squash flowers at this time, it will depend if it rains, whether we can get, you know, so there are too many factors. Yeah. Um, but we just needed one of them to be like, we can do this, we'll try, you know? And so... So clearly you found the one. Now you've got 60. So yeah. how f once the one came on, how fast before you got traction to five or 10 or to 60? How long has that taken? Eight years. Eight years. <laughs> Yeah, because uh, like the other challenge I mentioned is that they're not used to working as a group. So a lot of the first two years was just kind of like community organizing as well, getting, yeah. you know, I mean, they've been burned before by people who said, right. I will buy what, and then never showing up again. And right. so we, there was that to combat. Plus, it's like, if you've never worked as a group before, then it's like there's a lot of mistrust and then yeah. they're not sure. And even they wouldn't even know if they could trust us. So it's like, it took us to say like, we're gonna be here every Monday. Like, don't we have a meeting? And they're like, oh, yeah. is it Monday today? You know, so um, even to think, so I think it's already like, it took a while for them to think beyond tomorrow. How did you win their trust? How did you? Week by week. Okay. Yeah. So it's like really like just showing up and then mm -hmm. even though it's two hours late and you had to call some people, like just, you know, it took two years to be just like, okay, we're gonna be here for the long term. Yeah. And then not choosing to be an entrepreneur, I didn't have enough capital either. So like midway through year <laughs> one, year one and a half, like I was like, sorry, there's no mm -hmm. more money. And my partners couldn't do this with me anymore. Right. So like, uh, that was the first heartbreak and then, you know one of them like the early adopter was like well what about my greenhouse you know I had just invested in like a makeshift greenhouse and so how do you have that conversation I mean that's the worst one because it's not like you're letting down some family who you're like oh I can't give you my ve the vegetables this week or yeah blah, blah, blah. like people kind of understand that but the farmers like I put money into the ground for you yeah how did you have that conversation then what happened after um, so yeah, we went just as far as I, I could. I should stop saying we, like it was just yeah, me just at that you, point. Right. And then, um, yeah, I just guess kind of collected my thoughts for the next three months and then mm -hmm. I had to start over. I got uh, new partners, so um, two of them are, well, one of them is still with us today, but he's not here. Um, okay. And yeah, again, it was like every week kind of winning them back, Right. you know? Um, so yeah, slowly. And then um, even then, like we had to do 
Well, moving to the next group, like so that we've con we're continuing to working with with Capas, but the next group, um, we were smart enough like to choose a group that has already been organized by someone else. Okay. So there was some semblance of like they can hold a meeting together without us, you know. So you got a little bit better at picking the right choosing, partners. yeah, okay. yeah, okay. and then. Um, but so, but even s that, I can't say that that's enough to, you know, like it's a necessary but not sufficient condition for a long-term mm. relationship. And was that because you yourself had to really learn more about the community, the process, the s like the actual conditions on the ground? Was that um, was that yeah. what you was that what you were getting better at? Um, yeah, I think I was getting better at that, and also like self knowledge. Like, what do we need to actually run this? I mean, right. I couldn't size, or it was like scoping the nature of the operations was also challenging. Like, we thought that we could just initially the idea was just to be connected to one farm, but then we realized that these were kind of lowland vegetables that people weren't willing to pay a lot for. Right, right, and so right. just to kind of make those margins a little bit better, mm. um, we also needed to expand to like higher elevation areas to get like okay. the broccoli, carrots and stuff like that that we couldn't grow here. Right. But that of course create another level of complication in terms of logistics, right? Yeah. Um, and so like I said, we didn't think we needed an office and that, you know, so it's just a lot of things that I've been learning along the way and mm. so it's kind of only been relatively stable now. <laughs> okay, so eight, I mean you're still learning. Yeah, definitely, right? yeah. Okay, okay. But like so everything from the product, how the farmers work, how mm. to work with them and also what we need to like deliver a good product. Yeah. Has all been changing. We talked about the fact that you got started before like mobile payments and all that stuff like how has this transition to the mobile economy, WhatsApp, all the payment systems, like how has that made this easier or different for your for your business? I don't think we would have survived without it. Like okay. in the first four years, it was chasing down payments. Like mm. one of my days would be physically going to the bank and like depositing money and you know, like <laughs> writing all that stuff down. Right. Uh, but also just like realizing um, people weren't paying cash on delivery so it was also like a lot of our problems was also just cash flow mm. um, even though we say that's a subscription we had to chase people down sure, sure. so now it's much easier the second thing was like a website people would order online right mm. and stuff um, and we had a web developer do that but every time you need to make a change like it's right, another right. expense and like takes forever Shopify <laughs> changed our lives right, right, right. so yeah. like within a week we had something better that was turnkey and then people could pay Sweet. through PayPal and that's just made so many things better so mm. yeah we and then finally logistics because it's a highly yeah. perishable product we couldn't like keep things in storage right, right. everything needed to go out within like six hours you know mm. um, so yeah this is all packed today but then tomorrow morning everything um, starts going out and ideally they should be out within like a very short period of time so we used to do that ourselves like go yeah. door to door like well initially it was pickup points but then yeah. so having things like grab or lala move mm. um has really allowed us to continue well, working yeah, which we use options. yeah we don't have like i use my family's car <laughs> my partner uses his, his yeah, family's but I mean, car but ago, you had to own your own truck you yeah own all your own infrastructure yeah but now like with grab it's like it really makes 60 pesos more right yeah okay okay and so yeah all of those things needed to come together it's cool yeah. now when i meet with a lot of people who are in the space csa or just organic cleaner better food in general i find that the platforms can be quite small 
Um, how do you see scale for your business? Is it something that you're looking to scale or is it something that you want to hopefully franchise other people or you're happy with what you have and like, look, it's been eight years and I'm, I'm good. <laughs> um, I would like to scale this to a point. I mean, but I guess my sense of scale, I've never been like ambitious in the sense that I want this to be a multi-million dollar thing. No, like I want it to be a healthy ecosystem. So I yeah. want the people who are working here to have a good quality of life, that we're not overworked, that we're feeling creative and that we're feed, you know, like things happening at the farm. They're proud of what they're doing. Sure, sure. You know, that's my idea of success. Okay. So we're not exactly there yet. We could certainly be paying us better. <laughs> um, but still finding that, um, yeah. um, that point. Um, my idea of like, of expanding this, because I think it's a great idea. I think it can really, help um, a lot of farmers and a lot of communities uh, would be replication. Okay. So making things as local as possible mm -hmm. and if this is about matching farms with cities then yeah. finding that maybe in Cebu or in Iloilo or in CDO um, all these places with yeah. nearby farms could be connected in this way mm -hmm. hopefully with schools and so I imagine like us teaching other people how to build this. Okay. Yeah. And your initial business model was work with the farmers, sell to individuals. Mm -hmm. But over time, how has that business model changed? So it used to be purely subscription, as you said, and then um, we started getting interest from um, restaurants and cafes, mm -hmm. or actually the first one was like a smoothie maker or something that oh, needed okay. organic okay. stuff. So. Um, yeah, it's been helpful. I think it's also been helpful developmental-wise for the farmers to commit to something particular because the diversity allows us to kind of like switch things up on the fly. Yeah. But here was a way for them to practice like crop programming. Mm. And so like if we need to make like 60 kilos of lemongrass every two months, like yeah. how many people uh, can do that? So that's how it kind of grew. And then it's, um, it's a, I realized that it's a different uh, ball game as well like the margins are smaller but and like quality or their sense of quality is different like what size what you know yeah. um, so that has helped that's about business to business used to be about 50% now maybe it's about like 30 okay, yeah, okay. So. so yeah you mentioned like the you mentioned smoothie maker and I was thinking ugly fruit and ugly vegetables are you able to actually help with that as well or do you still have a basic standard like the banana's got to be this long and it's got to be this yellow and yeah like, like I guess that's what I, I mean I'm coming from like a consumer that also wanted to do away with like all the standardization and uniformity so what yeah. people consider ugly like we consider just fine you know yeah, and it's yeah. just, just sin to like throw it away so to be honest like some of our retailers and stuff like when they could what they consider ugly like would be per perfectly fine in a subscription right, like right, right. that is the soul of the vegetable you know yeah. um but yes we are able to absorb because of the subscription we're able to absorb what i think a lot of retailers normally just wouldn't and more than like ugly vegetables it's stuff that people don't know so i think right. we were talking about earlier like if it were a market completely market driven yeah. um enterprise we'd be planting arugula mm. we'd be plant growing like just salad greens all over yeah, yeah, yeah. and i mean i can remember the farmers just like please take the arugula even the pigs won't eat it you know it's like it just doesn't <laughs> but we love the stuff i know right, right? Like on pizza on our salad whatever it may be yeah but so like the other gift of like just the subscription is like discovering 
wearing items that we already have, like these Asian pears. Mm. Um, I, can, I didn't even know we could grow pears in the Philippines and like so these other fruits that would never make it to the market mm. just because we're so like looking to the West and like now we're kale driven and you know, so yeah. um, these are the things that I think is wasted in the third world that would never make it to the market, but we, we have a lot of and that's what we're able to so, I mean, you bring up an interesting point in the sense of, in the West, I would argue that we really strive for perfection. I mean, the Japanese are probably the best at this, but here, do you find it a lot easier to sell the uglier, the different, because maybe they're closer to the farm, or is it, what's behind that? Um, no, well, I guess now that I'm learning more about like Japanese standards of perfection, yes, I, th I think That's it's a little bit easier, yeah. Um, but uh, I think what's been a challenge also is like getting, like I grew up in the city, so I don't know what a real vegetable Okay. Tastes like I mean they're right, just, right, right. I mean, and especially in the Filipino cuisine it's just like thrown in with like <laughs> you know like as soy sauce, a soy sauce yeah. Yeah, yeah but when you can taste like carrots can taste sweet or yeah. like things can taste really fresh mm. I think um, that's when people uh, their minds are changed a little yeah. bit but I, I can't say that it's been easier for us to do that it's taken time and taken people and chefs as well to kind of take a chance with our local stuff okay, okay. so I think it's taken an openness mm -hmm. of mind that I can't be completely responsible for like I think right. I think it's helped that worldwide people are more curious w about what's endemic you know what's give me the weird stuff yeah. so I think that has helped um, but yeah I guess if I compare like if it were in Japanese a lot of these things would be <laughs> would be Rich, thrown yeah. out like, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and maybe I would have like invested more in like a jam making or processing sure, thing yeah. much much sooner you know it's something yeah. that we're looking at now and it's something I've been talking about like at home it's like a little crazy as I try to absorb as much excess as possible <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's the direction that we would take. We visit every farm that we source from, and that's something that we, you know, we take very seriously. Yeah. We're not a grocer, that we're not yeah, going to yeah, onboard yeah. anything that we don't trust, you know. Right. So there's a lot of energy that kind of goes into making sure that, mm. you know, we are what we stand for. Because I think another relevant thing is um, certification. We do not have. Um, organic certification that's okay. kind of way beyond what a smallholder farmer can afford right, the ones sure, that sure. that can have been assisted by government but we feel that like in this community it's about a face and it's about a brand that you can really trust and mm. like kind of knowing showing like you know if it, short of bringing you to the farm these having you understand what we go through sure. to make sure that it's a safe and really good quality food so what's the best way to effectively communicate that is it stories of the farmers? Is it pictures of the food? Is it dragging people out to the farm? Like, what do you find is the best way to get people interested and go, okay, I'm gonna spend the money for this? Honestly, I think it's been Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> food porn. Yeah, which okay. I've been so resistant to. Like, I only got social media because of this work, you know? Okay. But it's also like, it's learning to communicate the what we know, the stories. And I think, and that I guess has been built over the eight years of like yeah. actually having something to share that I wouldn't know if I grew up here, you know, right, like right, right. without the experience that we've had. I think you can hear the integrity in what we 
share mm. online like so, so we introduce a particular item of the week and then we say well you know this is how you can prepare it but this is what it means like farm wise yeah. like this grows when the way this grows is that it's just planted on the side or when it grows just expect a lot of a whole explosion of it for a while and then nothing um, how the farmers enjoy it so I think these are stories that people wouldn't necessarily have access to and right. bring a real um, authenticity to the work that we're doing. Does that give the farmer some, pri I mean, I'm, you know, a lot of the farmers are kicking, they're basically telling their kids, like, go to the city and find a job. Don't, like, don't be a farmer, there's no life here for you. Mm. But that's in part because they just don't, there's no pride in this. Yeah. Like in Asia in general, like farmers are often at the lowest end. Can CSA and does a program like this can that reverse that trend? I think it has, yeah. So we have farmers now who like, they don't really need us anymore, you know? Okay. And then that means something. And then because uh, over the last eight years, they've been working with their kids as well. Mm -hmm. The kids see that this is a business that has a future. Okay. And what I was getting to like, is that now they can speak in front of an audience. They can, s mm. which is a big deal because they used yeah. to like cry or like yeah, yeah. shy away. And then, you know, but now they can say that this is what we do. And then this is how, and they, they're very proud when they show you their gardens. Now, this okay. is what I have growing. This is what I'm yeah. trying. And, and so I think that means a lot for the mm. way that they view themselves and how they imagine their families would continue. What have been like some of the challenges, I guess, that you face as a business like, what have been like maybe the three challenges that you just like tick off? Like, these are the big three that I struggled with for the last eight years. The first one was like that the farmers are just so neglected. Mm. I mean, we had to do our own microfinance. We had to, you know, it's like, what do you need? What do you need? And then it's just like right, right. so many things. Yeah. Just the conditions to make this work, mm. like this relationship work yeah. was so much and even now logistics is a challenge right right so that kind of infrastructure is difficult for like a business one business to overcome sure, but sure. so slowly like we have something that works for the for the time being so one i would say was just like social services and infrastructure mm. is lacking um the second one is like I chose the hard a difficult idea. I chose social change. <laughs> it's not a product. It's not like you know. Yeah. It's not save the turtles buy reusable. You know. You know. It's, it's like it's tough to change your sure. life around vegetables. About you know an idea of like how farms that you've never experienced. Okay. Um, okay. So I chose a tough one, <laughs> and I think we stuck with it because we see like how it helps the whole. Yeah. So that I guess would be the second one, quite honestly speaking. Um, third one would be, um, I think like also maturity personally, um, and maybe the people around me, the people who I've been able to join in the work. Okay. Um, like I mentioned before, I did not have a business brain. <laughs> I just like wanted this to exist. Like right, I really, right. really wanted this to exist. And like learning, um, just struggling also morally, you know, those challenges like, um, am I selling out if I do this? Is it okay to do that? How much should I charge? What do I need? Um, and like also trusting kind of my gut or right, right. you know that this is the way to go because I'm like always second-guessing and sure. I read this article about um, like a po I don't know if it's a po poverty mindset but 
I think it also has to play, but like, you know, if I've never spent more than this amount, then I can't imagine charging this amount to anyone else, right, you know? Right. Or like, I can't, people ask me for like, what's your big dream for it? Like, I can, I imagine kind of like what I know, but, so I think it's, it's like also- the, You know the dot on the paper, but there's a whole piece of paper. Like yeah, yeah. Okay. But also like the willing, you know, multi-million dollar stuff is like way beyond what I can imagine. Well, and I, you know, I kind of, one of my challenges would be like, if you could turn this into a $10 million business, couldn't you help more farmers? Yeah. Right, but right, I mean, and, and this is a mindset, I think that's in our community as social entrepreneurs in general, is like, we wanna help people without, but we're really uncomfortable thinking about that balance existing the way that it does. Like, mm. more money equals more impact. We like to think that more impact will bring the money that we need mm. to support, and it's like, it's not right or wrong, but if, it's just like being comfortable with your choice yeah. and going forward yeah. and being like, no, I'm like, I have a friend who's like, no, I'm going for the tens, hundreds of millions because I can help tens, hundreds of millions. Mm. So I don't view it as a sellout. It'd be like if I went from a hundred thousand to a hundred million, but I only helped the same number of people, that's different. Like mm. that's selling out. Right. Or if I help different people and I lost my mission, that's selling out. Yeah. Um, and I keep coming back to like Steve Jobs, you know, he's on, uh, on the stage with, uh, Bill Gates one time at this D2 conference, and he said like the people, like they, they'd obviously all made it by then, actually it was one of Steve Jobs' last appearances. And he's like, you know, the people who are sane gave up because it's too painful. Mm -hmm. It takes too much out of you. So, you know, it, I'm not saying they weren't sane by being up here, uh -huh. but the fact is most sane people would have left because it doesn't make any sense to have this vision and spend the time on a vision that's uncertain, Yeah. right? Like the process is important and you have to enjoy it. Um, and that's really the, the tough thing, right? Because some days it's like, it sucks. <laughs> you know, it's like, Nobody else is going in this direction. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, this is the right thing. Even my wife, she's like, you know, if there's nobody competing with you in this space, then that's a problem. That you, and I'm like, well, actually, maybe I'm too far ahead. Mm. And maybe that's the problem. So it's like, how do you, how do you judge it? Yeah. Um, you, know, you just have to be, you have to be clear in your vision and have conviction. Right? Yeah. Um, I guess build your inner resources as well. Like, constantly. You know, yeah. Right. <laughs> um, if you were talking to a 25 year old aspiring social entrepreneur, <laughs> what <laughs> advice would Char from today give Char of <laughs> seven years ago? Eight years. <laughs> <laughs> God, it's hard. No. Yeah. I guess it would be to trust. Yeah. Like, just kind of like, Mm, building that confidence and like trusting your gut also I think I think um, I would I would say trust your vision you know <laughs> like listen but like yeah okay that's what I would say trust your vision like mm, it yeah